Yeah. Um, I, uh, hi, welcome to 12 questions. This is Hello. Anna Valenzuela and, uh, I'm, we're giving you another pandemic edition of 12 questions. It's very exciting. And I'm super excited. I've always wanted to have this guest on. And honestly, I've been a little bit too like afraid to ask. I don't know why. I just assume you're always so busy. <laughs> Wow. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's a nice compliment. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But don't be, do- I would, I like to do stuff. Yeah. Well, and one thing we do on this podcast, I let people introduce themselves how they want to be introduced because some people want to remain anonymous on this podcast. So, um, uh-huh. how would you like to introduce yourself? Um, Dave Ross and I would like to be as not anonymous as possible. <laughs> I'm trying to get famous. Okay. <laughs> I, I want I mean, our, to be the most famous person in history. And <laughs> that's what I want. I want that nightmare of a life. No, I, uh, I'm Dave Ross. I'm a comedian. Um, and, uh, and that's all that there is to know about me. That's well, I mean, there's a lot of things to know. Number one, you figured out how to be very funny on Zoom, which I enjoy. <laughs> I think a lot of oh, comedians thanks. have been like, I don't want to do a Zoom show. Well, and, and I get it, it's awkward. I've had some bad Zoom sets since oh, I've yeah. been doing it, but oh, yeah. there's a way to make it funny. Like, a lot of my tricks are I just like go out of frame for a totally. second and like come back in, or I wear a funny outfit, or just, you know, there's just I ways. Really- I think as long as you uh, truly do not expect to hear laughter, if you actually yeah. bring yourself to a mental place in which you are doing comedy, not wanting the sound of laughs, and you don't think it's stand-up, you know? Yeah. I think that when I have done poorly at it is when I was just trying to make it like a stand-up show, even though I probably was thinking I wasn't, but it's like not. We're trying to shoehorn a live performance medium into a little fucking window into the internet and it's not going to happen. So yeah, if you just like use the actual format, it can be real fun, but it's hard to remember to do that. Yeah, it, it has to be more like a sketch or being on a panel show or, right. you know, somebody, just whatever. But like, I think funny people have a way of being funny no matter what medium it is. Like who knew that sketch comics were going to be the kings of comedy right now? <laughs> Yeah, well, they did. Apparently. Uh, yeah, they always knew. They're laughing all the way to their computer <laughs> right now. <laughs> and they're okay with not getting a laugh anyway, so it's great. Nice, Santa. Fuck yeah. Hell Fuck. yeah. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Take okay, no, I wouldn't. No, shit down a pig. I'm just scared to, to be a sketch comic. Uh, <laughs> oh, we all. <laughs> so, uh,. One thing we do on the show, we had such a lovely discussion on top. It was very funny. You're very good at interviewing people. Well, thank uh, you. <laughs> you got right the fuck into it. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, where's your boyfriend? What's happening? <laughs> where's your boyfriend? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I want to know these things. It's good um, to know. It's definitely confusing um, <laughs> for a lot of people. Sure. Uh, here's, if you're listening and you didn't know, uh, I killed him. No, I didn't. He's fine. Yeah. She so killed him. Yeah, we just don't live together anymore. That's it. It's fine. Um, as long as it actually is fine and, you know, that's not like a mask you're wearing. Uh, what then... are you talking about? <laughs> 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 um, so wait, you but you live uh, in a trailer now? 
right? I do. This is the most natural I've felt in Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> fun fact about me, grandfather owned a trailer, grandmother owned a trailer. Okay. Uh, stepmom currently lives in a trailer. We slid down the economic uh, spectrum from house to trailer as my dad was dying. Um, I am a third generation trailer queen. Damn. And as soon as I have the scratch, I will be putting myself on a waiting list to buy a trailer in this trailer park because I'm kind of in love with Eagle Rock. I'm like... What took me? Oh no, I know. I when I went to that place for the first time, uh, I was like really enamored with it. It's uh yes, it's a it's a trailer park, which like I'm not averse to anyway. I mean, yeah. whatever. But then also it's adorable and it's tiny. It's weird. It's a very strange little thing. It's a perfect amount of space, I think. I think it's the totally. socially responsible amount of space. We got two ladies, one cat, one dog that's bitten half of the comedy community. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's a that's a credit in this town if Jackson's bitten you. <laughs> oh, Jack. I haven't seen him in a minute. <laughs> but he's uh he he's decided he likes me, so it's all it's all working out good. Now, how are you holding up? Uh I'm fine. I um you know, my lifestyle is one of being home a lot anyway, mm. um, because I do the road so much that, and it just really tires me out. So I'm just used to being at home and kind of breathing in order to recover from a lot of traveling and a lot of work. Um, and also I already had a podcast that uh, was a lot of work and I had already been like done most of the work on starting uh, sec, like a solo podcast. My other one, I have a co-host. I've been doing work on that for a long time and had just sort of been like waiting to launch for this, that, this reason or that reason. So I both am sort of used to it and have a lot to do. So um, I'm fine. I'll tell you this though. Um, one of my, one of the things I like about quarantining and you know that's weird to say because this no. is clearly a terrible time, but, uh, yeah. I am, uh, and all comedians, we are in every single way being stopped from our weird obsession with constantly being funny. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the first thing that happened was we couldn't go out and do shows. And yeah. so uh, everyone was like, I have to make stuff here. And we started doing these Zoom shows. And um, those are fun. Uh, but you can't do them that often because all the same people are watching them. And you don't actually get validation. So that doesn't really work. Then we all started trying to make fucking videos and shit and um, videos and podcasts. But then something happened that I think we're all just realizing this now, this week. Um, we all thought that because everyone was home, that everyone would be consuming way more online content. But we are learning that it is literally the exact opposite. My, the amount of likes and views I've gotten on my shit is cut in half, if not more. My friends who, who run, like my buddies who run, um, the hard times that mm -hmm. punk comedy thing, their uh, views are way down. And he said, like, luckily they have like savings and shit, but it's like, people are not uh, like they for the first time. Fuck. I didn't want to, I shouldn't, no. I shouldn't divulge the financial situation of somebody, but I'm just saying like people who run successful things like them, for are example, struggling. 
are like, oh shit, our, we are not making money right now. That is fucking weird. We always do. So um, we have now been stopped from even trying to, I, I had in my brain like, okay, I'm going to grow my internet following. And then I was stopped from that. And so I, the, a big positive of this is like, as much as I want to find a way to work, to keep my living going, to keep my career going, to like try to like build up myself as an entity or adapt to this as a comedian, I am not allowed to. And so my options literally are to just rest and be healthy. Those are the only actually fulfilling things we can do. I <laughs> and that's good. Love that. That's yeah. incredible. Like, and that leads perfectly into our first question. How are you experiencing that surrender? Oh, wow. That, that is a good question. Um, I am, uh, I'm experiencing it. I'm, I'm accepting it. I'm not leaning into it. Like I'm not, um, uh, freaking out and I want it, but I have been, um, it's been, a few years now that I've found myself kind of caught between two places, which is like, I'm kind of caught between my youth and uh, further adulthood, I would say in the sense that like, I really like healthy habits and I really like unhealthy habits. Mm -hmm. Whereas in my twenties and early thirties, I was perfectly fine. I knew I probably shouldn't smoke and I probably shouldn't drink all the time and I should probably get more sleep and I should blah, 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 but I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Now I really like eating healthy and, uh, dieting and exercise and, um, giving myself breaks and reaching out to loved ones and trying to enrich myself socially. Uh, but I also still really like staying up too late and then getting up early because who gives a shit and eating fucking fried chicken and gorging on chocolate and getting fucking wasted. And I really would like to segue away from thinking that shit's cool because I'm so ready. And so I, that's where I still am inside this forced surrender, you know? And, uh, and I'm hoping that it pushes me over the edge because I really like, I'm just at a point where my body is starting to show the, like, I can't, I weigh the most I've ever weighed. And, uh, if my, if I don't have a shirt on, you can tell. And a lot of the time you can tell just from my face. And it's like, not at a point where I feel like that awful, but I want to be and look healthy. And so I'm hoping, but we're not there yet. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I I completely I completely relate. This is probably the heaviest I've ever been. I had some medical issues leading into it. Mm. And I had a really radical uh experience where I was just out and about. And you know you how you I have that one scumbag ladies man friend. He <laughs> just walked right up to me. It was his birthday party. He just walked right up to me and he said, uh, "Oh my god, you look amazing." And I was like, "What?" And he was like, yeah, you look great. Like you've gained weight and it looks great on you. And I was like, are you okay? Uh, way to really hit both the insecurity and yeah. like, and that is a page out of the pickup artist. Uh, wow. Um, but it, it made me think like, as I've been approaching this new balance in quarantine, 
is it's not about, um, it is about balance, right? So it is about like being my healthiest self, which might not be my skinniest self. It might be right. that I just, you know, I'm doing yoga every day and I'm going for a walk because I can't run anymore. I fucked up my back. Like I can't do a lot of things that I used to do to escape my feelings of discomfort because I don't drink and I don't, I, I am a fried chicken, chocolate, yeah. uh, stay up late watching movies, wake up crazy early, put myself in a hungry, angry, lonely, tired spot. Right. Like that's how I, I, I get turned i get suppose like <laughs> i'm gonna have a red bull I mean, we, <laughs> yeah we did um a uh, comedy show on halloween and i ate yes. so much mexican candy i <laughs> i if you want to know exactly what i'm like on stimulants that is it i ate so much candy i was on stage just like ah! just like screaming the whole time and wow, i don't remember that that's interesting i don't remember you being particularly, I don't know, terrifying. I felt very out of control in my heart. Uh, Maybe I was keeping it together, but I felt very, very out of control in my heart and then immediately went home and fell asleep and for four days paid for it. And I think that is, that is the, the key is that like, we're both in our late thirties, right? Yeah. I'm 37. Me too. Nice. Yeah. So you just feel it after a while. Totally. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I used to be able to, if I quit drinking for a month, I would lose 10 pounds. Oh yeah. And, uh, so I still have that in my head too. I think is the problem. Like Mm -hmm. "Ah, I'll just slow it down. But then I do that. I don't really drink so much anymore. And I do like, I stay active. I'm not, I've never gotten myself on a workout schedule. Um, but I still, I, it's more than I ever did and it's still not enough. So, yeah, I mean, it really is just a perspective thing, you know, I uh, don't, I want, like, in my conscious brain, in the front of my head, I know what a good idea it is to be healthy, and I know how much it would benefit me to just focus on that, but I don't actually like it. Like, I don't, if I'm really honest with myself, I want to stay up until four in the morning watching shitty TV. That's what I want. So like, until I really, really stop wanting that, it's going to be hard and this problem's going to keep happening. And that's, I'm hoping to get pushed over the edge because it like, it's just so funny to me. I don't really understand why this is the case, but like every time I go to bed early and fall asleep early, and then get up after having seven or eight hours of sleep, get up, immediately have a day, exercise, eat healthy, and then get to work. Um, Every time I do that, I have a great day. And I'm so productive, and I feel wonderful at the end of the day. And then I tend to reward myself at the end of that day by staying up till four in the morning eating fucking crackers. And I don't know what to do to end that. <laughs> you sound like any 12-step meeting, especially like a woman's meeting, not to like gender it, but oh, really? like when we're alone, I've heard some very powerful shares of women just being like, I have a problem every year around Christmas with spiked, with spiced gumdrops. I eat them by the handful. My life is unmanageable. I feel shame. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's 
it's a really common thing. It's a really, really common thing. And, um, do, it, I, do you think it's, there's this, um, chroma key song where they, the chorus is, I'm not going to bed. I'm never going to bed. I'll sleep when I'm fucking dead. Wow. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, if there was a, a soundtrack to my life, that yeah. is on it. <laughs> Totally. When I was younger, I would have thought about the dad partying. I totally, I mean, I wish it were partying, but I don't want to party anymore. I want to be alone (laughs) and up for no reason. None. It would be, I mean, there are so many better reasons. Like every now and then I'll, I'll stay up really late because I'm finishing editing a thing or something Mm -hmm. like that. And that I wish I wouldn't do too. I could, just get a good night's sleep and do it in the morning. I think that's the other thing is that I have, I'm, I'm late to a lot of appointments and shit also. And I think that, um, I just don't think that time exists. <laughs> My brain like truly thinks that at every moment it is always the same time and no time has passed. And so why wouldn't I do whatever I want right now? Sleep isn't real. There is no tomorrow ever. <laughs> that's like really (laughs) that's really how my brain works and it's been plaguing me my entire life quite frankly you're you're so in the moment that the moment doesn't exist it is the only moment that ever was yeah yeah there is no other moment there is no moment that was ever before it it just always has been this moment there is no sun so it cannot set Well, with with that fun thinking in mind, what's been, because you've lived a life. One one reason why I've always wanted to interview you is that you've lived a life. Um, I feel like every time you're on stage, I relate so much to what you have to say about like your family situation, like the way you were raised, oh, like wow. the like your 20s. Like I'm always like, oh yeah, this is definitely a person I would have broken into a car with. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> wow, funny. Were you breaking into cars? I, I never committed that type of crime. Well, uh, I never robbed or stole. I was a really good shoplifter. Oh, and really? I was really good at making, because um, I when I used to drink, I was underage. So the only way I could get booze is just shoplifting it. Um, wow. I was very good at it. Mm. Yeah, sure. Mm. And, I mean, uh, I had definitely stolen from people which is worse, which is way worse than stealing from a store. Um, That's so how you much practice worse. stealing from a store. Do you steal from your friends? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, it was just the culture I was in. It happened to me too. Man, I, uh, I, I, I got banned for life from Siena College in upstate New York. And I can tell that story happily if you want. But when I was banned, I got a, a certificate of persona non grata. They gave me a piece of paper that said I was banned. Wow. And I framed it and I put it on my wall in my house because, of course, I did. I was a fucking dumbass. <laughs> and then someone stole that from my, <laughs> from my And after that, I was like, all right, well, I deserve that. <laughs> that's amazing. So would yeah. you say that's been your most insane moment in your life or like what's been the most insane moment? The Siena college thing? Um, is that the next question? Yeah. Wow. Good work. That was a good segue. Um, the most what? insane moment of my life. I mean, that's all in the eye of the beholder because uh, getting banned from a college is pretty extreme. I don't know. Yeah. Cause most insane moment of my life could be, 
the most danger I put myself in, but it could also be like falling in love or actually I can tell you, I think what the most insane moment of my life is actually. Yeah. Talking about my family. um, I realized a couple of years ago that what I had gone through as a kid was abuse. And uh, I think this happens to a lot of people in their thirties Yes, because I wasn't like, I didn't have the belt or the stick. I didn't get punched in the face, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But my dad did get physical sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then I can also say, and I say get physical. I mean, more specifically, he would grab me and throw me at at a wall. He would like shove me into a wall. One time he tried to fight me on the side of the street. Whereas your dad and my dad like buddies, because that was my, my mom was a puncher. My mom was a belt person. She was a hitter. But my dad was a pick you up and throw you into a wall person. Man. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think that I, my guess is that it's people who don't want to be violent, but still cannot control. So it's like a way of doing it, but it doesn't, well, it's the reason it's difficult for us. It doesn't feel you're not getting hit. Mm -hmm. Um, It only, that only happened a handful of times. What's funny is that the verbal abuse and the sort of like, emotional letting me think everything was my fault living in fear shit was the was the worst part um but anyway it was because of some shit someone that I was very close with went through some shit and it was abuse and it I went through the same thing and in order to be there for them I had to call it abuse and it like forced me to be like oh this was abuse it was two years ago it was very difficult it like Having gone through it, you would think that I could cope with labeling it, but labeling it was one of the hardest parts of coping with it. And um, so anyway, probably the most insane moment of my life, (laughs) I hadn't gone home until this last Christmas since realizing that. Wow. And I was, and, uh. And, you know, my relationship with my parents is complicated because it's not like it was, that shit was constant. Mm-hmm. They, they love me and I love them. And, you know, yeah. that's what those relationships are like. And uh, I hadn't talked about it at all. And I was laying in their guest bedroom just like I hadn't thought about it. But, of course, showing up at that house, having not been there since realizing that, I was just like running through a fucking trigger factory. I was just like panicking and I couldn't sleep. And I was like calling friends, like, what is wrong with me? I'm a grown up. I've dealt with problems. Why am I fucking losing my mind right now? So Christmas morning, my dad and I, my dad started talking about someone else uh, who has been, who has gone through abuse. And, um, I was like, you abused me when I was a kid, motherfucker. I just like said it to my dad. <laughs> it was great. I didn't say it exactly like that. Uh, I, uh, I don't remember the wording, but it was, it was, uh, it was the reason I dialed it back because is because it would have been crazy for me to yell motherfucker because my mother was sitting there, but I was like, uh, <laughs> um, but I was like, you did this to me when I was a kid. And my dad's response was, he looked at me and he goes, you know, I know I did and I'm sorry. And I hated myself for it then. And I hate myself for it now. And I'm just so sorry. And I just burst into tears. I'm like bawling and I'm like thanking him for apologizing. Oh and we God. talked about it a little more. We were getting into it more. My mom 
interjected while I was talking to correct me on something. And my dad literally goes, no, 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 please don't interrupt him. Please don't disagree with him. We have to hear him. This is what he went through. It's very important that we hear him. And I was like, how is this happening? <laughs> what work did your dad do? Did no, he go therapy? What happened? I don't think he did. I don't know. I mean, it did remind, like it immediately alleviated so much stress. Like I, Jesus. he and I will always have so many things we disagree on. Uh, and even in that conversation, there were some things about the history of it that I was like, oh, well, we'll never, we'll yeah. never get there with this. But it's funny, like you have someone who hurt you, and so, especially if you as your father or yeah. your mother or some sort of partner or guardian, um, the anger is so extreme yeah. and deep that like, it blinded me to a lot of other things about him. And immediately when that happened, I remembered that my father is a very sensitive person. Matter of fact, the, the reason this happened is how sensitive he is. The fact that he's sensitive doesn't excuse the behavior and it doesn't excuse not talking about it until his fucking seventies. But like him saying that removed the pressure and the anger to such a degree that I was like, oh yeah, this actually is a person I can talk to. Yeah. I just can't talk to him all the time and I can't talk to him under certain parameters. Like yeah. if he feels like I am just, uh, then it's not going to fucking happen. Then, then yeah. fuck me. And, uh, and this is like, he's complete defensive mode. And again, this is an excuse explaining it. And the reason I'm able to explain it is I feel it in myself and yeah. I see it in him. I felt the ramifications on me. Um, and that's all of the reason that I go to therapy and that I try to better myself. Cause I, you know, want to want to be good with it. I want to learn to process and talk. And to that end, it's really encouraging that my 72 year old father was able to tell another person to let me be heard. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought yeah. it would happen ever. Yeah, because he just dis- he disrupted the dynamic of his own relationship where her initial need was to be codependent and defend him and also right. to protect you from the conversation. Right. He, he allowed the conversation. That is did well, your also- therapist just fall out of their chair? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I did. Everyone I talked to did. I mean, even at a very basic level. What man yeah. could possibly imagine their father saying sorry? <laughs> it's like, it's unbelievable. And I, and I had been thinking over the past few years, like one of the things I was getting so mad about was just like, we're at a point now where I know that we're just people. I know we fuck up. I know that like you can be brought to a place where you do something awful out of your own fucking mental illness. Yeah. And while it's not an excuse, it's an explanation and I'm an adult and I can hear that from you. So motherfucker just apologize to me and we can move on. I had been thinking about that, but I never thought it would actually happen because generationally it's just not something, I think something that our generation is going to have to 
deal with that we're not prepared for is that we're going to apologize too much. We're going to listen to and apologize for fucking up to our kids so much that it's not going to mean anything because yeah. we're going to have to, it's almost like built into the, the like DNA, the system of creating people and growing and moving forward in history that tension between parents and kids, it like almost has to be there. So yeah. like, it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. And then we are going to be fucking up in a whole other way. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to figure out how to process that and be good about that. And it's probably going to take us until we're fucking 72, if at all, which is sad and shitty to think. And I hope that's not true, but I don't know. I think it is. <clears throat> I think it'll be, uh, I apologize for not having sterner boundaries with you because I understand that those boundaries create safety and you must have felt unsafe often and and responsible in a way that was beyond your years. Right. Because that was when I worked with adolescents in, in drug and alcohol treatment, I was kind of the hard ass of the crew. And I had a girl whisper into my ear one day, she goes, you intimidate me, but I feel safe around you which at the time I wish I had had a different approach other than intimidation, but Mm. it was a compliment that the parameters are what helped her feel safe. No one got in fights on my shift. No one fucked each other. No one got loaded on my shift. I was not fucking around with those kids. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm like, I relate to this a lot. I, I have such a bad temper. All the men in my family do. And I hate it so much. Um, that I have come to a place where I really try not to ruffle feathers at all. One, because I know, um, like it's, uh, it just puts me in this weird place because I, I don't want to react with the temper, but also I don't want to just take it because I, you know, have all that shit of like, I'm scared of being a coward and whatever. Um, and so I've gotten to a place of like really, just trying to keep things even keeled and not making demands of people and trying to, like I said, not ruffle feathers. And I think that that is a fine way to navigate your life. But if you want to do anything of substance, you have to learn how to be a leader and being a leader. Like you have to like, even if you don't technically have employees or followers, you have people if you're like well for example if you're making a tv show or if you have a podcast that's any amount of a production at all you have to be able to learn how to do it in a stern assertive direct way but without being disrespectful um and acknowledging the boundaries of both of your positions and the relationship between the two of you and i haven't been exploring that at all in my life and um yeah that's definitely going to be something i have trouble with with kids so I don't know, it, but it's good to acknowledge it. Hopefully. Do you see yourself as being a dad someday? I really want to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my heart. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'm perfect. <laughs> <laughs> with, with that being said, you are so perfect. How do you make decisions in your life? How do I make decisions? Oh, I, um, well, something happens that requires a decision. I immediately know what the decision is me. I procrastinate it for four days and then I begrudgingly do it. (laughs) I fucking love that. um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I like right now, someone uh, that I'm close to did something 
that I don't like um, publicly. Uh, and I, it was brought to my attention and I knew I was going to have to talk to them about it. Someone said something offensive to another person and it's like hard to describe. I don't know. I, I just don't want to tell you who it is or what happened. So I'm not Well, was it racist, sexist, classist? Homophobic. Someone ah! said, uh, a not in a non homophobic context said a gay slur. Look, a comedian said a joke with a gay slur in it. That's I, what I'm saying. I, um, I, uh, I was a Rose Battle comic, and I already have my press release drafted uh, apologizing for using said gay slur. Look, we've all fucked every fucking person, including gay people who is in their 30s, has said that word probably a bunch because we went to high school in America. And it's sad that that's fucking true, but it's fucking true. And I feel bad about it. I don't like it. Also, there are numerous periods in my life, uh, more recent than I would like to admit, where I said it ironically. And that's what was happening. This person was like playing a character where they were, the character they were doing was a type of person, it was a Rastafarian person, and those people oh. are historically homophobic. Yes. And so in playing the character, said a gay slur. But it was like publicly in front of a bunch of people, and there were gay people there that didn't like it. Right. And the, the, I, the, I have to talk to that person and be like, hey, man, what the fuck, dude? Just like, it's time to stop doing that. Yeah. And we're going to have a conversation about comedy that everyone has now, which is like, the comedian should be allowed to say anything. And I've been that guy too. So I understand the argument, but it's also like this. I've just, this has come. It happened to me with a race, racial slur recently with another person too, that they said, and they were completely apologetic right away. But just for whatever reason, recently I've come across more than usual comedians that are like, it's okay to do this in the context of comedy. And it's just, I I am just at a point where I'm like, no, it's fucking not. It is now not. It never was. But we know it's not. So please stop. (laughs) Yeah, I think think where it becomes incumbent upon us to be responsible is that we have the biggest audience we've ever had in the history of comedy. Right. And these folks are very literal because they're on the internet often. Yeah. And the internet is such a non-nuanced place Yeah, that, um, you know, there is a, just a literal interpretation that is justified for using, for abusing other people. And it's like, well, maybe, and also comedically we can evolve and we can, totally. yeah. The person I was when I wrote those roast battle jokes is not the comedian I am today. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. And it, it sucks. Ideally, neither you nor I would have ever said a gay slur because yeah. that sucks for yes. LGBTQ people. Yes. That fucking blows. Yes. But uh, we did. And uh, you see that, hear that, apologize. Yeah. Some people might hate you forever and there's nothing you can fucking do about that. Yeah. And you do your best to be better. And it sucks that that's all you can do. I wish I could take it away. I mean, I would even say... I would, I would imagine that you, just like I, have never once ever said it or thought it hatefully. No. But it still sucks. Um, yeah. And I think that's, yeah. I, you just said it perfectly. Comedy requires context. All comedy exists within a context. Mm-hmm. 
And most good comedy plays inside that context. Yeah. Instead of the context is built by the comedian that night at the show. You film it, you put it online, that immediately removes all the context that's set up. And we need to stop acting like that's not the case. Yes. And oh my God, it's very frustrating. It, it explains the, the mark missed by, by Louis where he is like, but you know, I, it's like, you know, your context follows you now. You're now big enough yes. and you've done a big enough thing. The, the context of your actions follows you onto stage, whether you like it or not. So if you go out there and you make a joke about don't show your penis to someone, even if they say it's okay, it's like, yeah, that's, that context followed you onto stage. So it works, it works both ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, go do what, a uh, do what Kramer from Seinfeld did. Go, sw- go dip into obscurity and swim in your pool of money forever. <laughs> totally. Bro, you made it. <laughs> too, I feel like that attitude really permeates. It's like, just sort of along the same line of thinking, why is it important to say a gay slur? It doesn't yeah. do anything for the joke. No. Yeah, it no. doesn't. Um, yeah, but anyway, going back to your question, that won't be hard either. It's just like a because the we're working. It was a thing we were working on together. I just don't want to say who it is or what it don't was. Worry about but it. You're fine. It was a thing we were working on together, and the person dropped that. And I know that they meant it in a non-hateful. This is a context I built. Thing. That's easier if they were shitty. Yeah. Because then I could just be like, "Hey, fuck you." But it's a hard decision to make. Like do I risk having a tense conversation that I know won't be easy with a person whose perspective is like, well, I'm not hateful and this is comedy and comedy is like this. And so I just have to, but so I, this was brought to my attention. I snapped, decided like that was wrong and I have to talk to them about it. So it doesn't happen again. And then the past four days I felt very stressed out and annoyed. And then today I was like, too much time has gone by of me feeling stressed out. I have to actually execute the decision I made. Because I think what's happening in my brain is that I'm hoping that the decision won't have to be made. Like, yeah. um, I'll, I can procrastinate long enough that it will solve itself. And that's weird because it hasn't happened one time in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> 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 Listen, I don't want to make this about gender, but gentlemen, if you just heard that, I want you to tattoo that on the inside of your wrist. <laughs> so I'm gonna right now, not a single thing you've ever procrastinated while your girlfriend, your mom, your best friend is sitting there going, do the thing! Yeah. And I, I do the same thing too. I put up, I, I tend to put off a lot of things in my personal life to like a degree where it becomes disruptive and like I I usually have financial consequences because of the bank then affects the car insurance then affects the DMV like I have these domino effects and usually when I get those results I'm like you know you just feel better when you do the thing why why do you yeah you make more work for yourself just do the thing yeah just do it I know it's well but I don't know we all live in the fucking habits we've built it's impossible to break out of them yeah we're all spinning a thousand plates just to do the job that we want to do so it's like how are you you know it's like where does the mental energy go what would you say um your level of what's the most interesting thing that you've learned about yourself and ever ever? (laughs) yeah wow i don't know um i'm great 
Yeah. I've, I've learned that. <laughs> um, uh, I've learned that I'm amazing. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, maybe I, I actually, I, there was a time in my life where I would have said that, like learning that I'm worthwhile was the most interesting thing because I went most of my life just with this voice in my head, just like, you suck. Fuck you. Fuck you. Why'd you do that? Fuck you, idiot. You're so bad. And then that voice is still there, but it's a little, it's like much softer. But I think there's a bright eyes lyric that to this day, I still think about a lot, which is of course I fucking do. Um, I look like this and I act like this. Uh, just lean into who you are. <laughs> he, yeah, but I, I don't even listen to Bright Eyes so much anymore. I still love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. But yeah. um, it's weird. It is a little weird that it's still in my head. Um, but, oh, actually, fuck. I'm not remembering what the lyric is. But the basic message, I remember hearing it and not really absorbing it right away. Um, it, the basic message of the lyric is, I woke up one day and I realized that I'm not special. Mm. and that's so relieving and I think about that a lot because one thing about thinking you're a piece of shit is at least you're important if everybody thinks that you're nothing then they're all thinking about you Mm -hmm. um and so there is like a certain amount of narcissism in that level of depression and so like yeah I the fact that really no one's thinking about me Mm-hmm. is like probably the biggest realization I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a, uh, a question in a step working guide in a 12 step fellowship that I'm in that says, do you consider yourself um, completely inconsequential and you have no effect on the world around you? Or do you think of yourself as a huge monster who can destroy everything and everyone around you? And wow. the answer is always both. Yeah, that is that is the the crux of the way that my brain works is that yeah. it's that um, it's a uh, egomaniac with an inferiority complex. It's that it's that thing of like I'm, right. I'm great, and I think a lot of comics share that um, because we do such high risk, high reward behavior, and there is a lot of co occurring addiction and depression and anxiety and a lot of stuff. So, but yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, totally. Everybody discovers that. And then when you, you get into that place of humility and you're like, no, I'm just like, I'm all right. I'm not the worst. And right. I'm not the best. And it's really freeing. Yeah. Well, I think you like don't really matter, but not because you don't matter because no one does and everyone does. That's the thing is it's like, like true nihilism is what's really comforting to me. Mm. The idea, because the, if nothing matters, then what does matter is what matters to me. Mm. It just doesn't matter to anyone else. And, uh, that's like super freeing to me. I mean, the danger is that that's sort of like, can really in the wrong hands, that type of thinking can lead to just nothing matters. Well, then I'll hurt people. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, luckily, I don't want to hurt people, so I'm not going to. But yeah. I think that was the fear in the past. If I, if I weren't diligent, then I would be a sociopath or, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. 
<laughs> it's every time I, I meet with my therapist because I have uh, my my grandmother and probably my mom had borderline personality disorder. And oh, every time I meet with my uh, my therapist, I'm like, do I have it? She's like, mm-hmm. Anna, I'm like, seriously, do I have a personality disorder? You've got to <laughs> tell me. And she's yeah. like, the fact that you're asking means that you don't. Right. Well, <laughs> if you did, you would not care and you probably wouldn't ask yourself those questions. You'd just be like, whatever, my ratings are great. Leave me alone. I'm perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how would you say, what's your level of self-honesty or your level of honesty just in general? Um, I don't know. I. It's really important to me to be honest with people. Mm-hmm. But the reason that it's that important is that my instinct is to lie to people. And I mean that like I, um, like, and it's really more like my instinct is to exaggerate. My instinct is to Mm. make, make the story interesting. That's just kind of how my brain works. And that leads to lies. Like it actually happened earlier in this podcast where I was like, I said that I said to my dad, you abused me, motherfucker. That's a perfect moment of what I'm talking about because that didn't happen. I didn't say that. So I said that in order to be like, to make myself look bigger, even stronger and bigger than I already was in the story. And then immediately I was like, that was wrong. Correct your lie. And then I did, but like you didn't, you wouldn't have known all of that. It didn't really matter when it comes down to it. Um, had I not said anything. So yeah, I, I want to be very honest. It's important to me. I shoot for it. I am, I I am very, very honest with myself, or at least I try to be about who I am and what I'm doing. And in recent years, like that used to mean being negative. And in recent years, it, it has sort of come up to me being like, okay, I, with comedy, I can talk about it more easily. I've gone through three phases of it. And at the beginning of comedy, I was like, I have to be honest with myself about my sets. And what that meant to me was to always think I was bombing and to tell myself that I was, that I like, when I sucked to not let myself off the hook, don't blame the audience, all that shit. And that just sort of metastasized into me always berating myself. Mm -hmm. So then I was one day I, I was like, well, I, and then I would say that to people uh, who asked me how my sets went too. I would be like, uh, oh, I bombed. I was always telling them I bombed. And then one day I realized that like most people don't see your sets. And if you're always telling people you bombed, then they're just going to think you bomb all the time. And so I should start being honest with people about when I think I did really well too. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I went through this period where I would be like, oh, I did really well. That was a good set. And I would say that to myself too. But those were the only two types of sets I could have in my mind still. Now I'm at a place where I think that I can be actually pretty objectively honest about how a set went and shit about my career in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd be like, yeah, that was fine. That was okay. I give myself a C minus, you know, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And I try really hard to do that throughout my life, Um, though I know I fuck up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I do the same thing. I'll say, somebody will say to me, oh, that was a good set. And I would be like, at first I would say, um, oh, you're being very kind, which is my way of deflecting the compliment. 
Um, and now I've started to say, um, if I know I had a tough set to say like, it was tough. It was about a B minus and I like an A plus. So to like, kind of uh-huh. say that I use the same kind of letter grade system or like, you know, it was a C, but sometimes it's just a C, you know, like yeah. I was not good at anatomy in college. I was happy to get my C minus and get the right. fuck out of there. So like sometimes, yeah. or one time I was, I was, uh, on a, I was on a show in Vegas and I had a real rough set. There was a heckler and the crowd sucked. It was just like, uh, it was really bad. Normally I, I love a heckler. I'm like, heckle me, come, come for me. I love you. I will, I will make this show very fun. Um, but I stayed for the entire show to see how every comic did after me. And I'm really glad I did that because they all struggled. Right. I mean, at one point the feature was like, this feels like work you're making me f- work and it's not fun work. And wow. I was like, yeah, I, um, I think we all have those moments. And sometimes I don't want to blame the audience, but sometimes you got to be like, this collection of people shouldn't be together ever again. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Like, like all yeah. of you are perfect, beautiful snowflakes the way you are, but you should not show up for live entertainment together <laughs> as a group right. ever again. <laughs> well, yeah, they're all individual people. Yes. Sometimes they're not going to vibe with you as an entity. Yeah. True. Also, sometimes you just eat shit. Yeah. I try to like really acknowledge if I'm nervous, which I do, I still get nervous sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not even, it's like, sometimes it's for big shit. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just at some fucking bar show. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, I'm not going to be a hundred percent and I know it going into it. I'm only, I'm getting a B tops if that's how I feel in that situation, unless it's a long set and something can pull me out of it. Um, And uh, yeah, I think it's good to be like, I, uh, I didn't do my best. I did not do my fucking best. (laughs) (laughs) You ever celebrate the bomb? I've done this. Oh, sure. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, I, I mean, hard. <laughs> there is no, I mean, here's another uh, craziest moment of my life thing. I, I don't know if you have had this happen to you yet. Uh, please tell me if it has, but there's a unique singular experience that you can only have if you are a comedian who's been doing it for a minute. Okay. And that is the feeling of bombing for an hour. Of like for a whole you have, dude. <laughs> the first time I ever headlined, <laughs> and I brought I brought Brian Simpson with me because I knew I was going to do bad, and uh-huh. I wanted him to give me notes back. And oh, he was wow. like, he goes, "So how do you think that went?" I was like, "Not great." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was like, "I'm glad you're aware, but he's done differently." And I was oh, like, "He's great, man. I like his attitude about comedy yeah. a lot." Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Man, it's so it's it's what you were saying too about celebrating it because it's mm-hmm. so like the feeling is so bad <laughs> that uh and so constant and so relentless and inescapable <laughs> that you can't really feel sad because you just it's such a bad feeling you had to get used to it while it was happening. Yeah, it feels like you got hit by a fucking train. Like I, <laughs> it's happened to me. I think three times, and I mean, in order to bomb for a whole hour, real <laughs> bomb, no one laughs. 
everything has to go wrong. Like the audience has to, the show has to be bad. <laughs> the show, the audience has to not co- like uh, come together as an audience and they have to hate you. And <laughs> the you, only thing they can come together on is a hate yeah. of you. <laughs> they have to hate you. They have to feel uncomfortable. They have to not like you. They have to not want to be there. And you have to do very badly. <laughs> Even if only one of those factors is removed, you'll get some laughs. But (laughs) everything has to go wrong. And so, yeah, it happened to me in Louisville. It happened to me in St. Louis. And What club in St. Louis? No, it was, uh, I mean, in St. Louis, maybe I shouldn't count that because it was my second time ever headlining. It was a Monday. There were 10 people in the room. They were all comics. And afterward... But the thing about that one that was really tough was that uh, I just really ate shit. I just really, someone had their dog and the dog wasn't even barking. You know what I mean? The dog was like, fuck this. And uh, then they, the comics took me to an open mic at a lesbian bar and I was like, hell yeah, I love lesbian bars, which I do. And uh, I was like, this is my shit, this is gonna be dope. And they all killed and I bombed there. So I was just like, what? <laughs> oh my God. What a nightmare. Just taking the L and gone home at your hotel. Seriously. A hotel. I didn't have a hotel to stay at. Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, dude. And I just like sat at the bar at the lesbian bar and I got a beer and they were like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm bad. I feel bad. And, uh, Everyone who came up and they would be like, hey, so you're visiting? And I would be like, I don't want to talk about anything except the fact that I bombed all night. <laughs> um, and that dude over there who's talking about how he like hits his kids is killing. Uh, <laughs> that is my favorite context to bomb in is traveling a long distance and then watching somebody kill who's like, y'all beat your kids. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, of course I do. Everyone does. Oh my god, dude. That's amazing. It's such such a crazy feeling. What is um what how, what is your experience of fear and anxiety? Like in, in that context or in any other context? I mean, the context we're in now is pretty crazy. Uh pretty constant but i've learned that especially from this quarantine that my fear and anxiety is tied very close to my identity like it's existential but it's existential as far as like my worth as a person and so like i'm really not that anxious right now yeah um because there is a looming threat and that is scary when I think about it and I could die and the people I love could die. And that's all like frightening, but I don't have irrational levels of fear and anxiety about that. Um, that does, that doesn't consume me. I don't spiral. You know what I mean? It doesn't color how I act than wearing a mask and shit like that. I say on stage a lot that I live in fear. I do. I am always afraid, and that is true. I am always, at every moment of every day, afraid. Uh, It's just how I'm wired, and perhaps it's upbringing, perhaps it's something else, who knows. 
Um, I have worked on different ways of coping with it. So I also at this point feel pretty strong and pretty capable of dealing with it and pretty confident. And so it's not like uh, it gets me. Sometimes it does. That's the thing about being afraid all the time is that you just have to like let it happen sometimes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think I fight it constantly, but it, but that's my experience of fear and anxiety. I am always afraid that I'm about to be hurt by someone, but it comes, it's rooted in my worth is nothing. Yeah. So like my immediate thought, if someone cuts me off on the highway is literally, well, they knew it was me and I'm a piece of shit. So they, my value on the road was nothing to them. And so they just cut me off, which would be so psychotic if that were true. <laughs> like the idea that, that there's everyone has my license plate and they're like, Oh, there he fucking is. Like, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, oh man, that's, and it, and it is like a, there's self obsession in that. And I know it, I, I you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't like it, but uh, have you ever had that self-centered fear actually validated? I've had it a couple of times where I'm like, do those people like, are they like fucking with me? Yeah. And then, a couple of times. And then I find out that they were and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, then you think about though, like we were both like people who at different parts of our younger lives mm-hmm. fucked with people for no reason. Yeah. Like I used to just throw beer bottles at cars. I used to throw pine cones at cars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like, if someone did that to me now, I would be like, they know, they know, they know I'm worthless or whatever. But it was just because they had a BMW and I was blackout drunk and I had a big beef with, you know, the bourgeoisie or whatever yes. fucking bullshit I thought. Fucking um, mad at classism. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> what, you think you're better than me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas like, especially the neighborhoods I was living in was most likely someone who leased it or worked forever to afford a car mm-hmm. that they love. Ugh, what a fucking, what a bad guy. Well, I wouldn't say that you're a bad guy. I think that there are two types of kid in the world that I've encountered. There's um, the gentleman in my life, Stuart is a rule follower and he's mm-hmm. a good boy. That's yeah. how he describes <laughs> sure. it. He's like, I'm used to being a good boy and getting a gold star. <laughs> wow, and, funny. Uh, when I was a kid, <laughs> I remember very clearly looking. It was thir- the third grade. They pulled me in and they said, Anna, we need to talk to you. My parents were there and I was like, what's going on? They're like, so when we give you an assignment in class, you look at it, you look around the room, and then you just put it in your desk and choose not to do it. And I said, <laughs> Well, it's busy work. <laughs> wow. I was like, I'm not, I'm not interested in it. What are you going to do to me? <laughs> wow. And uh, I remember when I was a little kid, one of my earliest memories is uh, being a toddler, walking up to the refrigerator, opening it up, grabbing a raw egg and hearing my mom say, don't you dare drop that egg. God damn it. You were cruising for a bruising. I will spank you. And I looked at her like a little tiny gangster and just dropped the egg Whoa. and ran. <laughs> and ran. That's incredible. And I was, I mean, I think some people are born with a rebellious spirit and yeah. I, it's gotten me into a lot of trouble in my life. It's gotten me fired from a lot of jobs you know i can kind of be a little a little pain in the ass but what that also means is that 
when this pandemic causes some sort of uprising in the class system, that means (laughs) mom is going to throw a brick. (laughs) Right. You know, like I'm going to be out there. (laughs) Yeah. My grandmother's been arrested for civil disobedience three times. Whoa. And we have a thing in our family where if somebody, if I get arrested and it's for civil disobedience, she will bail me out and pay for my lawyer. Wow. Yeah. So like, I think some people just have that in them and some people don't. And usually the people that don't surround themselves with people who do because they, they need that. Yeah, I mean, I will say that I'm, uh, I also have a lot of me doing that was more of a rebellion against myself than mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Cause I like, I always did my homework and always tried to get an A and I fucking never cut school once. Really? Ever. Yeah. Ever. Wow. Um, I didn't do drugs in high school at all. I don't think I smoked weed until, oh no, I did, but not like I did it a couple times. Um, yeah. And so I think I was really tired of that. And now I'm coming back to more of a rule following place. Truly. Interesting. And yeah. And I can tell you that I do surround myself with people. I, when you said throw a brick, I filled me with fear because I'll get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. Then they'll take my gold star away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep wanting to tweet. I can tell which one of you has been arrested, which one of you hasn't. <laughs> right. Because totally. there, this, this pandemic feels like that moment when you're getting slid into the car and you're like, well, <laughs> uh, this is what we're doing. And right. I have no control. <laughs> there, I will say I... I have felt that way about our world, our like liberal bubble artist comedy world for a few years now. Oh yeah. David Borey has a great joke about it, or I don't know if he still does it, but he's one of my favorite comics working right now. And he's so funny. funny, And I just saw him do this set once where he was like, everyone's talking about punching Nazis and um, I have no problem with that. But I do want to say that I'm not sure you fucking white liberals are about that life. <laughs> and I and I lost my mind. I laughed so hard and it didn't do well the night I saw it because everyone in the crowd, I think, are people who fucking... They want to believe they can punch a Nazi, but they've never yeah, thrown a punch in their life. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that there's been a lot... There's a, The internet has done this. There's been a lot of posturing by people that don't have to back it up. And, you know, that's probably a better world, but yeah. I definitely grew up knowing I could get hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I knew my limits. I knew my limits <laughs> growing up. Yeah, there yeah. were, in addition to my parents, I grew up in a real small country school. I grew up with hicks. I grew up yeah. with uh, people that used racial slurs against me, about me all the time. And the most terrifying people in the school I grew up in were the kids who lived on the reservation. Those girls would fuck your ass up. And I knew it. Yeah. I'd, get, I'd step to the little white Mormon girls, but I oh, wasn't stepping to the natives. <laughs> it's so funny because in that situation, I'm definitely the little white Mormon girls. Uh, <laughs> and proudly so. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, funny. What's one thing about yourself that you would like to change still? 
Um, going back to what I said earlier, I would really like to have healthier habits, like really very badly. I want that because I want to, it's, you know, it's a a sick reality, but that I think is true Mm -hmm. is that I think that the industry, the entertainment industry would fuck with me more if I was in shape. And, uh, yeah. yeah. The last time I was on TV, I weighed 135 pounds. I weigh 155 pounds now. Yeah. I weigh 200 and 15 pounds, Anna. Ooh. I know. You look good, though. You look oh, good. Oh, thank you. Because here's the thing. I'm like two little white woman can... girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You look like you can handle, you know, you can handle <laughs> this upcoming famine. You know, you got this. <laughs> yeah, but... no, and it's like, it's, what's funny is that I can have a perfectly good career and, uh, you know, date women that I'm attracted to and, and uh, have respect and all that shit. Um, if I stay looking like this or if I gain a bunch of weight or whatever, it's not like, I don't value that shit. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I do like how I look when I'm a little slimmer, Mm -hmm. but I also think I look good now. Uh, but so it's fine is my point. I don't want to make it seem like it's the main thing I value, but I do want a bigger career. And, uh, I just think, I just think it would help. Here's the other thing about that, though, too. When I get frustrated with that reality, my very next thought is, yeah, but I'll also live longer. So what the fuck? Like, there's no why not. Why not try? Um, if I weren't try- the the way that it would be shitty would be if I was, like, taking diet pills or I was, like, purposely smoking cigarettes to lose weight or fucking shit like right. that. Right, starving yourself, taking <laughs> Coke, you know, right, yeah. all that stuff. I, You know... I think that is a can I give you a woman's perspective on this? Sure. When I first started stand up, I was thinner. I was in I was in my fighting shape. I used to teach karate and compete and stuff, and I was I was I surfed and I was in really really good shape. Cycled the whole thing, and um, I would get this a lot. I would get off stage and people would go, "Wow, when you got on stage, I didn't think you'd be funny because you're pretty." And oh, I'm like, interesting. Mm. And I know I've definitely seen pretty boys go on stage and I'm like, all right, motherfucker, what you got? What you got? Because there is a privilege in being young and attractive. There truly is. Um, And, and I think that while we can tell ourselves the industry would fuck with us more for arbitrary reasons, what, and I've only been doing, I haven't been doing this as long as you have, obviously, but one of my, my thoughts to keep in my mind is, uh, Stuart and I, for example, we went in for a hosting job, like a couple's hosting job. And the note we got back was, and it was like levity was putting it on. The note we got back was too funny. Wow. And when, when that note came back, I was like, oh, this is madness. Like there's no, you brought us in to be funny and we were too funny. Yeah. So if that's the case, then... There's no rhyme or reason. It's just right. sort of like who's kind of got that heat and who's, you know, who they're horny sure. for now. And, you know, and the kind of cool part about what's happening right now is I feel like we're going to have a hard reset and a lot of people are going to yeah. have to kind of like. I think a lot of people are currently right moment quitting. <laughs> I, know. Uh, I really think that that's happening. Yeah. yeah which is exciting. I, yeah. I think that. I don't even mean for me. I mean for them. I yes. mean like. <laughs> yes, if you, you don't, don't want it, don't do it. Yeah, you don't have to do this. I don't yeah. have to do this. 
I chose at 32 years old to leave a career in substance <laughs> abuse and mental health to go yeah. have a career in substance abuse and mental health. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I get it. What yeah. is, you've had such a, you've shared so much already that's so incredible. What is your experience of forgiveness? Like, when that moment happened with your dad, was it instant forgiveness or did you have to kind of relive the experience to process it? It was pretty instant. I don't have a lot. Of, I don't have trouble forgiving people, but I do have trouble starting the conversation with people. Mm-hmm. Once we've talked about whatever the fucking thing is, I, I really have no problem. I don't really care. I don't even really care what's done to me. I just care to like, I mean, obviously I care, but like, is that like a self-worth issue or is it? No, no, no. What I mean is like, if I feel wronged, what bothers me isn't the thing. It's the sort of like removing my personhood. Do you know what I'm saying? So like if someone just walks up to me and punches me in the face, yes, I don't want to have been punched in the face. Sure. But the thing that bothers me more is that they just thought they could do that. And so if a person comes to me a year after that and it was like, Hey man, I walked up to you and I punched you in the face on the street and that was wrong. And I acknowledged that that was wrong. That's like them reaffirming respect for me. And then I'm basically over it. Um, and that's kind of how I feel in general. I'm like the Catholic church. Um, but no, I mean like without I, the pedophilia. <laughs> oh, well, you don't know that. Um, <laughs> Delete that. Delete that part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have a lot of trouble forgiving myself, though. I kind of berate myself for past mistakes pretty constantly. I tried to not, but I I just do. You mm-hmm. know, I'm better and better at it. Yeah, I'm hard on myself. I have low self esteem. You know, what can I say? Yeah, yeah. What comic isn't right? What is the weirdest apology you've ever given or gotten? Oh, that's a cool question. Um, damn, I don't know. I think that dad one's pretty wild. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, I was like, oh, you open it up on the ninth question. All right, let's get to uh, it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. That one is like mind blowing. W- yeah. It was weird in the sense that it never happened. Never happens. <laughs> it was yeah. weird in the sense that it didn't happen and I lied to you. Um, no, I got uh, about 5% of that from my dad when he was dying. Oh, shit. But not anything in that detail and not anything in the, like, let's really talk about it. It was like, I got to get this out of the way because I'm dying. Right. Wow. No, it's pretty crazy. Pretty monumental, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's still, it's still a big moment, but it's, it's a, I totally, when you were sharing that, I was like, what a, I mean, your dad, your dad must uh, be very empowered in who he is. Yeah, he must. I, um... Yeah, I look forward to talking to him more as he gets older. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was the moment you really became an adult to him. Yeah, I mean, that is true. There is a certain element of like, maybe he had been subconsciously waiting for me to stand up to him. Yeah. I mean, because I hadn't ever called him out. I mean, I had called him out on him being disrespectful to other people, but never to me. So, yeah, I don't know. That's wild. That's yeah. so wild. How are you maintaining 
you, the, the, the temple, the sanity, the spiritual life of Dave Ross right now? Okay. Um, I'm occupying my time. I'm uh, podcasting and um, playing Mario Kart online with friends. Nice. And FaceTiming with friends and trying to like, I'm in this cycle where I do all those things and it's fun. And then I'm like, I have to do that. And then I get in the mindset. It's about a three day cycle where I, um, and friends and that sets me up for a, like more appointments to chat with friends and more projects. I either have to finish or ideas I have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I have like a day where I do all those things and then a couple days where I'm like, I have to do more, I have to do more. And I sort of, uh, obsess. And then I'm like, wait a minute, there's literally nothing I can do at all right now. So relax. <laughs> yeah. And then I chill for a day and I let myself rest and then I feel free again. And I do a little bit of work and chat with some friends. And then I'm, that takes me back into this sort of like obsessive patterns uh, that I have been in for a long time. And then I make myself relax. And so, yeah, that's what I'm doing. You're staying conscious to it. You're staying present to it. Yeah. And I get obsessive because that's the type of person I am, but I feel all right. So you mentioned nihilism, higher power, no higher power. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, you know, what's weird with me with a higher power is no, I don't believe in God, but there's a funny thing with atheism and atheists and agnosticism and the idea of God where like people who don't believe in God, some of them, seem to believe there's no God. And that difference is important to me. Because, like, I think a true atheist just doesn't care. Mm. Um, Because if I don't think, if I don't believe in God, then then I just, then that's just not in my brain. Yeah. But if I believe there's no God, then there, then I have some sort of beef with religion. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's part of my identity. Um, and the only reason to believe there's no God is that someone told you there's a God. Whereas not believing in God is just sort of, you're just in this world and that's not an element of it. Yeah. So that's how I have felt for a while. And I've like tried to describe that to people. And labeling their own religious beliefs is pretty important to way more people than I would have realized. Like Mm. not just religious people, like a religious people, like people being like, well, that's agnosticism. And I'm like, no, I just look, if you were, if there were a God and I saw it, I would be like, okay, sure. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, But I don't entertain that idea because it's just not important to me. Um, But also, um, Recent, I listen to a lot of folk music. It's one of the genres I like a lot, especially country folk music nice. um, and some like older country music. And those people mention God and Jesus in their lyrics a lot. Mm-hmm. And people singing about a relationship with God has started to feel very warming mm-hmm. and comforting to me. And uh, it, it, it piques my interest. And so also separately, I pray, I, I don't pray to a God, but if I'm like feeling very desperate, I notice myself doing this and like 
Yeah. And, and just saying shit to myself, like, can we please just get through today or something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very 12 step relationship with a higher power. I don't know what it is. I know that it is. And that's yeah. okay. I don't even know that it is though. I just, I mean, there is like an undeniable, like I am alive and so are other people. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely a bunch of things happening that are completely out of my control. Um, I can see them. Like, I don't know what my roommate's doing. He's over in his room making his own decisions right now. Mm-hmm. And so like, but we, he exists and I exist. And so he can affect me mm-hmm. and I can't do anything about it. And that sheer reality is in itself something more than me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of just acknowledge it as that. Calling it a higher power, I don't really know. I don't know. The trouble with, with the idea of a higher power is that it can just hurt people so easily, like so easily. Um, and I know addiction is like a bad, bad, bad disease. So I, I think the, the, the one rule that I've been exposed to with that is that your higher power can't be punishing. Um, oh, good. It's, you can't define your higher power as a thing that dispenses justice um, <laughs> or a thing that dispenses um, suffering. And in times like this, I think that the, the higher power that I see comes in. I was watching, this is so stupid. I was watching, I've been watching TikTok too much. That's how I've been passing nice. the time. And this guy, he's like, hey, I got laid off. I'm a union plumber. And I've been hearing about people who plumbers won't go into their house because they're afraid of COVID-19. So I'm going to go into their house and I'm going to repair I'm going to repair some things. And it's this video of going into little old ladies' houses and being like, this was a 20 minute repair. How come this guy left? Like, and those little, those little instances to me feel like the presence of something, you know, I've had my own personal experiences that feel like the presence of something, but it's more like a supportive entity rather than a rueful, higher power, like a big concept of God. It's just like, there's something, Hey, something, you know, it's not, it's not anything really serious, but that's what works for me. And it doesn't have to work for anybody. One of my favorite meetings in the whole world is in San Francisco and it's called the fuck God meeting. Uh, and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I like that. So you don't have to like, but I, yeah, it's, it is interesting. I do enjoy also music. I have a morning playlist and there's this really cheesy nineties gospel hip hop song that I fucking love. And there's um, a lot of times old country music and old like spiritual songs. Definitely like most of the Johnny cash America box set is just him doing a lot of those old like country tunes and old spirituals and stuff. And you're like, Oh man, that stuff is incredible. So good. So good. So good. You can't, and you can't argue with it. It's like, oh, I remember singing that in choir. Like that is, that's great. Like it's a. I mean, gospel music is. There's all sorts of shit that we all music nerds all argue about music, but gospel music and classical music are the best music. Yeah. <laughs> they are just pound for pound better than everything else. Yeah. It's so funny that I forget that so much. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's super and, fun. Yeah. And it's like if music's gonna be your religion, which for I feel like a lot of people in LA, it kind of is. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Then you're gonna take in some music that has some ideas that might go against 
your sense of self-identity, but that's the point. You know, it's, it's the same thing as when a, um, a Trump supporter, like with a fanny pack and a MAGA hat walks up to me and says, I don't agree with you, but I think you're funny. <laughs> right. I'm like, thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> thank you. Funny. Yeah. Thank, thank you when you're voting. Yeah. Thank me with a vote. That's so funny. Yeah. All right. Last question. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, and- yeah for being willing to do this. Um, normally I, I ask people, well, you know, what would you want to tell somebody just like you in the world? Oh. What I want to tell them. Um, man, that's a good question. I like that question. Um, there is a, uh, do you watch the wire? Yes. Um, I love that show. Probably everyone I've ever met does. It's so, free right now on HBO. You can stream it for free. Is that true? Wow. Yeah. They released The Wire, The Sopranos, a bunch of other shows, like older, older content. So people can watch cool. it during the quarantine. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Uh, there is a line uh, in, that Avon Barksdale says in The Wire that I think about sort of frequently. And if you don't know The Wire and you're listening or watching, and uh, I'm sure you do, but just in case you don't, Avon is like the gangster. He he runs the entire uh, drug operation in West Baltimore. He's like the kingpin they're trying to capture in season one and is like a fucking badass. Uh, That's like how he's portrayed, right? And so at some point he and Stringer, his like right-hand man are talking and uh, Stringer or somebody leaves and he shakes their hand and he says, all right, man, take it light, but take it. And I think about that all the time (laughs) because I do, I really like that approach to life. I aim for it. I don't always hit it, but I like take it light, but take it like, don't run from it, but it's going to be okay. You know, I think that's what I would say to other people like me. Oh, I love it. I love it. That was <laughs> yeah. so great, Dave. You've been an incredible guest. Uh, Thanks for having me. Super fun. Where can people find you and how can people support you like monetarily right now? And what oh. podcast can they listen to? Let them know everything about you right now. Um, okay. So I have, uh, two podcasts right now. One has existed for a while and we just relaunched under a new name. It was called suicide buddies. It's now called y'all ever. I host it with Hampton Yunt. Um, it's so much fun. It's like sort of mental health, sort of advice, sort of us being stupid together. Uh, listen to that. Uh, you can subscribe to that Patreon. It's patreon.com slash y'all ever. Um, and then I also just started, my own solo podcast, which the first full length episode is up this week. Nice. That show is called get stupid. And I literally haven't even posted publicly about it yet, but I started my own solo Patreon along with that. Nice. It's patreon.com slash Dave to the Ross. And then, so links to both those podcasts are at my website, Dave to the Ross.com. And, um, also, I sell merch from that website if you want to buy a t-shirt or buy my album or something. Also, you can listen to the album on Spotify. Just look me up there. You know, those are all the ways. Nice. I um, 
have to plug your merch for a second. Brandy and I were talking about how your merch is so expertly selected. Like it's very streetwear hype beast, like, <laughs> like very, very awesome. fucking cool, very LA. It would definitely be something that even if you, you are not a hundred percent, like a world's biggest comedy fan, you don't want to walk around with like a shirt of just like, this is comedy bobs, comedy bob hut. Like you don't <laughs> yeah. want to, that you, Dave is uh, has a selection of things that are super fashionable that you could get uh, for somebody who's not even in comedy, and they would be like, "This is fucking sick!" Like, man, so. that is a big compliment. Thank you. That's like validating my yeah. I, I thank you so much, and I have like sort of gotten really proud of it, and I have to the point where I am thinking about segueing my store into some sort of like. I think I'm gonna at some point just sort of change it into a record label slash clothing brand. Nice. Fuck it. Why not? Yeah. yeah streetwear, man. Try that out. Yeah. R slash streetwear, man. You got to fucking <laughs> on it. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Dave Ross brand fucking Nikes. That's coming next. <laughs> why not? Why not? Hey, why I don't not, care. Dude. Don't be too cool. Maybe <laughs> yeah. Nikes, maybe more Adidas. Yeah. Not Nikes for sure. Yeah. Not fucking. Uh, I hate Portland. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not how they donate their money. It's not political <laughs> alliances. It's just fuck you, Portland. <laughs> I just fucking hate Portland. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. About how I hate Portland. I yeah. kind of want to hear it. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't hate Portland. I actually really like Portland. I just thought it was fun to say. It is a fun thing to say. Yeah. Well, you're a delight, Dave. And how we end this podcast is I say, if nobody's told you this today, I love you. Ah, uh, Anna. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're listening to this and nobody's told you this today, we love you. Okay, bye. Bye.